Welcome to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. We are a local church in East London, here to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. And our mission is to worship God, make disciples, share Jesus and transform Hoxton. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my name's Sarah, if you don't know me, and um, I'm a licensed lay minister here at St. John's. A couple of quick apologies. It's a bit chilly because our heating packed in this morning. So if you need to put your coat on or do this, that's okay. I won't be offended and think you're about to leave. It's fine. Um, so I'm going to be continuing our sermon series on the words and works of Jesus. And today we're going to be thinking about Jesus and justice. Now, this is a, a subject that I'm very passionate about and I'm going to apologise again if I go on for too long because I found in preparing this that I had so much to say. I feel like we could have done a whole sermon series on this and I've tried to cut it down as much as I could. Hannah was very excited because she said she was quite happy because she'd get more time in her kids' group. So it's all for Hannah um, and also for Graham because then he won't keep getting um, told off for being the only one who, who, who talks for too long. So it's for him too. I wonder how you like to be introduced to people. Maybe you're about to walk on stage at a big event. Maybe you're going to preach or speak. Maybe you're going to sing a song or do a TED talk. What would someone say by way of introduction? For me, maybe this is Sarah Hunter, licensed lay minister, community organizer, choir leader, Psalms and Stretches instructor, wife, mother, friend, vegetarian, drinker of Earl Grey tea. Those are the things that I'm most known for. Those are the things that I spend most of my time doing. So that's how I would be introduced publicly. So how significant then is it that in the Bible, God is introduced to us as a father to the fatherless? a defender of widows, someone who executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. God is introduced time and time again in the Bible as the defender of these vulnerable groups of people. This is one of the main things God spends his time doing. It's one of the things he is most known for. And in contrast, in most other ancient cultures at the time, a God's power was exercised through the elite of society, through kings and priests and military leaders. This was the reason that they were so powerful because if you opposed these leaders, then you also opposed the gods. But the God of Israel is different. God is on the side of the outcasts, the widows, the orphans, the stranger. Our God, the God of the Bible, stood out from all other gods because he's on the side of the powerless, not the powerful, and he wants justice for the poor. I wonder how many times did we complain as a child? It's not fair. It's not fair. She got more sweets than me. It's not fair. I'm the oldest, so I should get to stay up late. It's not fair, all my friends are going to the party or all my friends have got a phone. I want one too. This concept of fairness is just, it's built into our very nature and we're aware of it from the youngest of ages and we feel keenly the injustice of a situation when we're the victim. 
And yet often I think we find it hard to put ourselves in others' shoes, to see situations from someone else's perspective, where perhaps our actions could be the cause of the unfairness or the injustice. Our day-to-day lives today are full of injustice because we live in a sinful world. A world where sinful people and consequently the systems and structures, institutions, governments, policies and decisions are found to often be unjust. And as we become more aware of these injustices, we might choose to ignore them if they don't affect us personally. And to be honest, that's often our most common response. We might just think, blimey, this is such a big issue that we wouldn't know where to start. What on earth could little old me do about this huge issue of injustice? So we don't do anything. It's hard to know where to start, isn't it? And as Christians, I think it's important that we know what the Bible says about justice and how Jesus dealt with injustice. So let's start with a definition. What is justice? Now, in the book of Micah, The prophet is speaking to Israel who are continually turning their backs on God despite having been rescued from Egypt and Micah's summarizing how God wants them to live. And he says, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. He wants them to do justice and love mercy. The Cambridge English Dictionary describes justice as being fairness in the way people are dealt with. But the Hebrew word for justice that is used in Micah here is mishpat. And mishpat is a verb. It's a doing word. It's an action. Justice is something that we do, judging people fairly. But it's not judgment only. It's about restoration, restorative justice taking that step further, maybe to advocate for those who are experiencing injustice. But Micah says we're not only to do justice, we're also to love mercy. Mercy is God's unconditional grace and compassion and forgiveness. And I think that they both come hand in hand. The reason that we do justice is because God loves us unconditionally he has compassion on us and forgives us and he extends the same mercy to all humanity so this hebrew word mishpat is used a lot of times in the old testament and it's often translated into a few different words so in leviticus 24 verse 22 for example it says that we are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born and that word there for law is mishpat We're to treat people the same regardless of race or social status. That's justice. Deuteronomy 18 talks about the offerings given for the priests and the Levites. They were to be supported by a percentage share of people's income. And this share, or sometimes inheritance, was known as the priests' mishpat. It was rightfully theirs. Perhaps in the same way that maybe a member of the clergy has paid a stipend from the money that the parish give to the diocese. It's their right to receive that. Proverbs 31 verse 9, defend the rights of the poor and needy. The rights, mishpat. So this word mishpat can be translated as justice, but also law, share, inheritance, rights. 
All of those words together are about treating people equitably, giving them their fair dues, judging them fairly, and giving people their rights. Although we are instructed to do justice to everyone we come into contact with, the Bible seems to have a preference for some particular groups of people who perhaps need justice more than others. And in the Old Testament, there are four groups of people that come up time and time again, and they're often called the quartet of the vulnerable. And these are widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. And they were all people with no social power, people living perhaps at subsistence level, possibly just days away from starvation, if there was any kind of disaster, like a famine or an invasion or social unrest. And it's not that difficult for us to think about who these groups of people might be for us today. Refugees, migrant workers, the homeless, maybe, single parents, the elderly, the unemployed, people on minimum wage or zero-hours contracts, people struggling with long-term debt. The list goes on and on. The Old Testament seems to imply that if a society neglects these types of people, that this is a violation of justice. And if God loves and defends those with the least social and economic power, then so should we. And if we don't, we have neglected to do justice. Because doing justice was actually written into the very culture of Israel. And this was the way that they were to show God's character to the world. They were given the law and charged to keep God's commands so that all the surrounding nations will see how they live with justice and peace based on God's laws and they'll be attracted to this God and his wisdom and glory. Now there's another word that's often found in the Old Testament alongside mishpat and that's the word for righteousness. And again, there's different Hebrew words for righteousness throughout the Bible, but the one most commonly used alongside mishpat is tzedakah. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but hopefully it's something like that, tzedakah. And the meaning of this word is kind of hard to translate into English, but it's, it's about right relationships because of generous giving. So when we have the right, our right relationship with God and we give generously to God as he commanded, this then changes us and it leads us to being committed to having right relationships with others and conducting all of our relationships with fairness and generosity rather than righteousness in terms of just being good or being morally correct. But these right relationships due to generous giving in Israel, they were written into the law. They were never left to happen by themselves because doing justice and having righteousness was written into their law. So these two words, mishpat and tzedakah, they're found together in the Bible a whole bunch of times. And I think that if we all showed tzedakah, then we wouldn't need mishpat because everyone would be treated fairly and equitably. Now, in Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice, which I highly recommend if you have not read it and you want to delve deeper into this subject, I meant to bring it so I could show you, but I forgot. Um, he suggests that the best translation of both of these Hebrew words together is social justice, which is a phrase that's much more familiar to us now. And it's one that I think 
has been problematic for the church over the years, maybe even a little controversial. Should the church be involved in social justice or should we just stick to sharing the good news of Jesus? Involvement in social justice can sometimes get political and some Christians believe that politics and religion should be kept very much separate. But I think the biblical understanding of social justice is not one that can be ignored. But neither should it be taken and used for political gain by either side. Maybe one side saying that social justice is more important and ought to be carried out by the state um, or the government through redistribution redistribution and taxation. Or the other side saying that personal salvation is the most important and um, we should just give to charity. We should give voluntarily out of our own private wealth. But Tim Keller argues that whilst charity is good in society today, it's very much optional. It's not written into the law like it was in Israel. No one can be forced to give to charity. But in Jesus' time, this law, tzedakah, was still in place, having right relationships through generous giving to the poor. So if someone was stingy or selfish, It was a violation of God's law and therefore a sin. Indeed, the Bible even suggests that if you don't give generously to the poor, you are in fact committing robbery. You are living unjustly and not giving mishpat to those who are entitled to it. Now, the Old Testament says that there will always be poor people in the land. But it also says in contradiction that there should be no poor among you if you fully obey the laws. And in Deuteronomy, we can find some laws about doing justice. So we've got the Sabbath year law. Every seven years, all debts would be cancelled, including any collateral used to repay a loan. What an amazing law. It meant that long-term debt, one of the main factors causing poverty, was simply removed and people were given a fresh start. The Israelites were also commanded to be open-handed and not hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother, but they were to give generously and not just as a one-off, but consistently until that poor person could support themselves. There was also the gleaning laws. If you know the book of Ruth, you'll be familiar with these laws where landowners were commanded to leave some of their crop around the edges for the poor to gather, not giving them a handout, but enabling them to provide for themselves. There was also the tithing laws. Israelites were commanded to give a tenth of their annual income to the upkeep of the temple, the priest's mishpat. But every third year, Those tithes were given to the poor, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. And then there was the year of jubilee. So every seventh year was the Sabbath year, but every seventh Sabbath year, so every 49 years, there was the year of jubilee. When land was given back to its original tribal owner from when the the Israelites returned from Egypt. So just imagine your family for decades has maybe struggled, perhaps through their own bad choices or perhaps through circumstances outside their control. Perhaps they've had to sell their land in order to survive. But then comes the year of Jubilee and it's a once in a lifetime chance for a family to start over and be given a fresh start. 
So in this society, there were systems and laws in place to make sure that even if someone did fall into poverty, if God's laws were kept, there was provision for them to get out of poverty. We can start to understand why the Bible said that there should be no poor among you. Now, we spent a lot of time in the Old Testament so far, and you're probably thinking, when's she going to get on to Jesus? And this passage in the New Testament that we read in Luke's Gospel. So we're going to do that now. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we see instantly that he also loves and cares for the same groups of vulnerable people that his father does. Indeed, that was the way in which he was known. That's how he was recognized to be the Messiah by his followers. By John the Baptist's followers, they saw him and they reported him healing the sick and preaching good news to the poor. And this is not some distant God or an old dusty list of laws. This is a living, breathing God in human form who essentially moved in with the poor and the marginalized. He lived with them. He ate with them. He associated with them. He touched them. He healed them. He spoke with them publicly. He showed special concern for the poor, the widows, the socially ostracized, the sick, the immoral, women. And here in this passage in Luke, he suggests that God loves even the foreigners and the Gentiles as much as he loves the Jews. And people were so offended by what he said that it caused a riot and they tried to kill him. So let's have a closer look at what Jesus said that caused such an extreme reaction. So this passage takes place at the start of Jesus's ministry. After Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he returns to Galilee and starts to preach in the synagogues. And he's essentially getting to be a bit famous. And then he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, where he grew up, where he's known as the son of Joseph, a carpenter. And he goes into the synagogue and he reads from the Torah. And he quotes a poem from the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This section of Isaiah that he's quoting from was written hundreds of years earlier. And it's an exploration of the great hope of the future messianic king coming to rule in the new Jerusalem when all nations will live together in peace. And it comes after the famous prophecy that we often read at Christmas about God's servant coming to be a light to the nations and announcing the good news. Talks about how he will be rejected, beaten and killed, dying on behalf of the sin of his own people but then he's alive again and his death has provided a way to make his people righteous, tzedakah, in a right relationship with God and others through generous giving. And it then goes on to explain that those who accept what God's servant has done for them will go on to experience the blessing and inheritance, mishpat, of God's kingdom. Jesus wants to proclaim good news to the poor. And we now know that this was a much broader group of people than simply those with not very much money. It includes this quartet of the vulnerable, social outsiders, those from other ethnic groups considered unacceptable in religious circles. 
Jesus says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And that word, that freedom that Luke uses here is aphesis, which is Greek translation of a Hebrew word for liberty or release, referring back to the year of Jubilee, where slaves were given their freedom, debts were canceled, and land was given back to families. And as we now know, the year of Jubilee was part of the law to ensure that there was no poor amongst them and God's justice, mercy and righteousness were evident in the land. This poem that Jesus quotes shows how God's justice and mercy will go out to all the nations of the world so that everyone is invited to come and know their creator and redeemer and live in the new Jerusalem, the new creation. Now, Jesus not only quotes this passage in Isaiah, with all those layers of meaning to the people listening, but he then says that it has been fulfilled in their hearing. He then goes on to remind them that the prophets Elijah and Elisha, and therefore God, deeply cares about and wants to feed and heal and bring justice for the Gentiles, emphasizing even more, just in case they didn't get the message yet, that God's invitation of righteousness is to be extended to everyone. It's not only for the people of Israel. He's implying that he is the messianic king come to usher in God's kingdom. This is an outrageous claim and it's no wonder they tried to kill him then and there. So what happens next? Jesus then goes on to show us what this justice, mercy, and righteousness looks like. So he escapes nearly being killed, being thrown off a cliff, and then he continues his ministry. And over the next few chapters, he heals a man possessed by a demon. He heals a woman with a fever. He starts to call his disciples, who were not wealthy and powerful men, but lowly fishermen. He heals a man with leprosy who'd been ostracized by society. He healed a paralyzed man and he implied that everyone is our mother and brother. He hangs out with tax collectors and prostitutes. And he starts to challenge the Pharisees on their corrupt self-serving religious practices. Jesus turned people's lives around. He saved their souls and he showed them mercy and compassion. Yes, absolutely. But he also brought about restoration and reversal of people's life circumstances. And he extended the circle of those who get invited in to experience the healing power of God's kingdom. And he spoke out against injustice when he saw it. He essentially proclaimed that this year of jubilee had come now. And not only that, but that it was here to stay. From that moment on, every day was a chance to be set free. Every day was a chance to have your sins forgiven and to be restored into fullness of life. It's good news, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Consequently, this is why I believe that doing justice is an essential part of living the Christian life. And I guess the harder question is really, how? How do we do it practically? I think we need to make doing justice a way of life, a way of being. Making other people's problems your problems. Loving your neighbor as yourself because they are made in the image of God. 
And I'm confident that every single one of us will be presented with situations in our day-to-day lives where we will have to choose to do justice, perhaps at work or at school or in your personal relationships. How you choose to respond to situations of injustice will be a window onto your relationship with God. We need to respond to injustice individually, but I think we also need to respond collectively as Christians, as the church of Jesus Christ. Just imagine this gospel of justice, mercy and righteousness not only preached, but embodied in a community. Imagine if we, as a group of believers in Jesus, lived in such a way that God's character was shown to our neighbours and friends because of our commitment to doing justice, loving mercy, living in right relationships with others because of generous giving and showing compassion. In order to do this, we actually then need to know our neighbours, right? We need, to, we need to get to know them. Um, you know, and we're blessed to live in this amazing area of London, And it's not difficult to find areas of injustice here in our neighbourhood. But the the causes of poverty and injustice are complex. So we need to listen. We need to get to know people, build relationships so that trust can be built and be open to working with people who are very different from ourselves in order to do justice. Well, as many of you know, we are a church that's passionate about making positive change in our neighbourhood. And one of our main objectives is to transform Hoxton, making it a better place for everyone to live. And one of the main methods that we use to help with this is community organising. We don't want to be a community that's insular and exists only for itself and its members. We want to be a church community who is seen to love their neighbourhood, their city, their neighbours in such a way that we're prepared to work for the good of the whole community. Being people who love and give generously and sacrificially so that justice can be done and compassion is shown to those who need it the most. If we're seen to be this kind of community, then we lay the foundations for effective evangelism. We know we don't get, we won't get very far if we tell someone about Jesus, but then we live and act in a way that shows we don't care about their circumstances. Doing justice and sharing Jesus are so intertwined. And we saw that in the life of Jesus and what he did with his time and what he was known for. So here at St. John's, we've got many opportunities for you to do justice here in Hoxton. If you want to know more, you know, how to volunteer with the food bank or with Grow Baby, part of Ivy Street, the family family centre or the Cat Money course, please do speak with us or a member of the welcome team afterwards. I've mentioned community organising and we run a programme called Organising for Growth. And one of our action teams is focused on reaching out to the community and doing justice. If you want to join that team, come and have a chat. Our current team are at the stage where they're listening and they're discerning what area of injustice in our our local community God might be calling them to act and make change in. We would love for you to get involved in that. I wonder if there's an area of injustice that you've experienced personally in the past or even right now. Would you like to do something about it together to make a change so that it doesn't happen again to someone else. I wonder if there's an area of injustice that you've been a close witness to, perhaps a friend or a member of your family has experienced. 
What could be done to change their situation? I wonder if God has placed on your heart a particular area of injustice that he'd like you to work for change in. God's not asking you to single-handedly fix it, but if you share it, there will be others who God has also placed a passion in this area in their hearts and would be willing to work together with you. I'm gonna close with a prayer of blessing in a minute, but I'd love to invite you to stand. There's gonna be the opportunity to respond practically after the service. We're just gonna spend a few moments just asking the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts with areas of injustice. And if something comes to mind, and I hope it does, members of our outreach team will be in the hall at the back over coffee um, with a flip chart and some post-it notes. Maybe you can go and write it down, put it on the page, stake your claim, say, I wanna do something about this. I wanna work with others to make a change. Let's just spend a few moments in silence just asking the Holy Spirit to bring situations of injustice to mind. Open our hearts, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord. Help us to be open to going out of our comfort zone. To reach out. May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may seek truth boldly and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you really can make a difference in this world so that we are able with God's grace to do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. Thanks for listening to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. New talks will be uploaded every week from all of our services. And do check out our website, stjohnshoxton.org.uk, for more information.